0: Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's gotta do it, but that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rhodes Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at Rhodes-Group.com.
1: The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money
0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Matt Atlanta. We appreciate you guys making us your weekly destination to catch up with some of our favorite uh, Atlanta and Georgia guests, both past and present. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. All right, so I want to know about uh, the lemmer before Bray fans got to know him uh, in the big leagues. What kind of athlete were you as a, a 10, 11, 12 year old? Did you play other sports besides baseball?
3: Well, growing up in upstate New York, uh, Matt, there was no other choice. There was only a few months a year you could play baseball. So, obviously, I gravitated towards other sports. I played a lot of basketball, probably more basketball than any other sport. I couldn't skate, so hockey was out of the question. So, it was inside to the warm gyms of uh, basketball.
0: So, when you uh, started to, let's say, get to the high school years, uh, 14, 15, 16, did you realize baseball had become the sport you could achieve the most at, uh, or did you still continue to play everything else?
3: I continued to play everything else. Uh, I, I think the the way baseball came about was because of my height. Uh, basketball was out of the question at that point. When you start to get to be a junior or senior in high school, and you're you're barely at the five foot nine height, and you can pretty much cancel that one out. <laughs> so so it was baseball for me on, after that.
0: So when, let's say, you're now a junior or a senior in high school, are you grabbing the attention of scouts? Do you think you're going to go on a scholarship to play college baseball? What was the destination?
3: Well, um, you know, my senior in high school, there was a little attention, but we had a really bad weather year. I think we started off the season, I remember, playing maybe a doubleheader and another game on a – maybe three games on a weekend series, and then snow came and we were snowed out for two weeks. So that put a damper on the baseball season. Fortunately for me, we had a couple of area scouts that would always, you know, keep an eye on the players. We did have some high round draft picks. Uh, Andy Van Slyke obviously was a first round pick a few years earlier. And uh, there was another couple of guys drafted. So there was always scouts around the area, but uh, never a heavy presence of it. Uh, And then when it came time for the draft, you know, it... Was the Atlanta Braves, but it was the Atlanta Braves working alongside the the scouting bureau. Back then, they had what they called the scouting bureau. We had a guy in upstate New York named Cy Williams. He was part of the scouting bureau. Basically, he scouted for all twenty at that time twenty eight teams. They just throw your name in the hat, and he recommended somebody if you wanted to draft them. And the Atlanta Braves happened to be the team.
0: So tell me about the draft experience because it's unlike you know the NFL or or. The NBA, there are a ton of rounds, and it can last a long time. Did you have any sense of where you might be picked, and how did you get the uh, the notice from the Braves?
3: No, I didn't have any indication of, of what round. I thought there might be a chance. Uh, there was a phone call around the tenth round from the Philadelphia Phillies. Probably now that would be called tampering, but back <laughs> then they just <laughs> they wanted to know if you had plans of playing professional baseball or going to college. And at that time, I had a, a scholarship to Purdue University. So that was going to be my fallback plan. I had signed my letter of intent with Purdue University, and if things didn't work out, that's where I was going to end up. So the draft, I don't know how many days it lasted, you know, in the present day, but it lasted three days back then. And the first day went and gone. The second day came and gone. And I'm not drafted. The third day – Really wasn't much fan first, so I figured, well, I'm probably not going to get drafted. I'm going to head to Purdue. I'm all set to go. I'm, you know, ready to enroll. And all of a sudden, my sister comes running up to the door with a telegram, and I got notified by telegram ah. that I was drafted by the Atlanta Braves. That's amazing. Remember tele- it wasn't a singing telegram, although my sister was screaming and howling. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I got notified by telegram. And even then, Matt, I just, I, I, had the telegram, I ironed it out and put it in the little scrapbook and said, oh, this will be a nice little thing to have one day and show, you know, the, the kids and the grandkids that, hey, I was drafted by Atlanta Braves, you know. And, uh, and then head on to college. So I was set to go to West Lafayette. And then the Braves had this thing where they, they brought their draft picks in to Atlanta. Well, I said, you know, sure, I'll come down. You know, what, what, I've never been pretty much out of New York State at all. So I said, I'll come down to Atlanta and work out for the team, get to see the stadium. And from then on, things changed for me. And uh, Ray's made an offer, and they made it close enough to what I wanted. Although I looked back and what a, I said, what was I thinking? I should have wanted a lot more.
0: What Do you remember what the <laughs> bonus was?
3: It was uh, in the neighborhood of like 20,000-plus school. So at that time, I think the education at – Purdue was—I want to say it was forty thousand. I don't know, but that's back in nineteen eighty-three. I'm sure it's much more now, but uh, it was—it was close enough, and that's what I really wanted to do, and and that was what my goal would be if I went to Purdue or not, and. So I wanted to start, a, start my career as early as possible, and I was 17 years old at that time when I signed with the Braves. And don't get me wrong. Once you sign with the Braves, a lot of things go running through your head. Did I make the right decision? Should I want went to college? You know, what would have happened if I went to Purdue? But lo and behold, I signed with the Braves, and things worked out. And, and here's the funny thing about it. The shortstop at the time at Purdue University, I was playing shortstop, excuse me, at the time in high school. And that's why, of course, every middle infielder would like to remain his whole career. It's not possible for most of us. But the shortstop at Purdue University was Elam Rossi, Rico Rossi. And Rico ended up spending a little time with Atlanta Braves, so I got to joke with him about it a little bit, too, as well. So when
0: you signed your contract, where was your first stop as a professional?
3: First stop was to Bradenton, Florida, in the Gulf Coast Rookie League. And um, that was a, a, a wake-up. That was a wake-up because uh, you didn't know what to expect. And there's no way you could know. You know, you, you're first time away and you're now playing professional baseball. There's not a lot of guys that could call back home and say, hey, how is it? Or, uh, you know, let me know what to expect. And not a whole lot of guys knew much about it. And uh, But it was more catered to the younger guys. That was one of the reasons – I wanted to go to Bradenton, Florida, because I knew that that's where most of the high school kids that the Atlanta Braves drafted would place. And the games were all in the heat in the Gulf Coast League down in Bradenton, Sarasota, Florida, at like noon, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So it was a little getting used to.
0: Was it a tougher transition, you know, playing for pay at that point and being a pro, or just like being away from home, living on your own, paying bills, just doing stuff that, you know, adult folks are doing and you're 18 and 19 doing it?
3: Well, I mean, it was a combination of, of all those things. Now, the thing about the paying bills part was we stayed at Pirate City, where the Pirates still have their training facility in Bradenton, Florida. There was three teams: there was us, the Atlanta Braves, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Los Angeles Dodgers, and it was like a dorm room facility. You had three uh, roommates in a very tiny little dorm room, and um, and that's where all the team all the teams were housed. So, from that standpoint it was a much easier transition than you having to go try to go out and find an apartment and then pay them bills, like you say, and never being a customer used to it. And, uh, and then having all the guys around, I think was comforting to know, you know, that your whole team was basically right there. And, you know, Tom Glavin was, I was Tom Glavin's first roommate. I had been there before Tom Glavin and then he came knocking on the door. So he walked in the room. And so it was interesting. Urban Meyer, the, the big football coach was a teammate of mine in Bradenton, Florida. So once you got the guys down there together, Matt, it was it was kind of – it was like a summer camp. It was kind of a lot of fun. Ron Gant was there. You know, you got to know those guys and really enjoyed it. So from that standpoint, it was great. Competition and, and games was the getting used to part, playing every single day no matter what. You know, there was no I don't feel good or, you know, hope we don't play today, none of that. And then the fact that every day you go out there, you're facing, facing professional competition. So it was a grind.
0: Well, let me ask you about some of those teammates. First of all, who was messier as a roommate? Was it you or
3: Glavin? Oh, definitely me. <laughs> even to this day, even to state, Tommy's tip top, got everything in, in, in line and in order. Uh, he was a great roommate. I mean, it was, couldn't have uh, had a better one. And uh, so I, I enjoyed my time there with him. And we, like we said, we were both out of high school, both from the Northeast. Um, talked a lot of hockey with Tommy. Even though I couldn't play or skate, it was interesting to see a guy who not only got drafted in baseball and was a high-round pick of the Braves, but also got drafted in hockey by the NHL. Yeah. What about
0: Urban Meyer as a teammate, as a young guy? What was he like back then?
3: Urban was great. Very athletic. He was a shortstop at that time. I think he was... Had an arm injury for a little bit of our time down there in Bradenton, but uh, you know, always a guy trying to get better and, and knowledge seeking and trying to figure the system out. You know, just like the rest of us. Never would I have known. I knew he was from Ohio, but never would I have known he would, you know, be released a year and a half later and take on that college football career that he did. But I remember we we had a little game room down there at Pirate City and it would have like a couple pool tables and a couple ping pong tables and me and Urban would play that ping pong and when you played with him, you talk about intensity and focus. It was as intense as going between those lines out there in the back on the baseball field.
0: Yeah, it's not surprising based on what we know now. So Mark, I was looking at your minor league numbers and you had a couple of years. One where you had 18 home runs. Another where you hit 20. So I mean, you're you're showing some pop. You're hitting the baseball. You could always pick it did you have a good feel because the Braves were in a I mean a total transition of trying to put the you know pieces back together? like did you feel like there was a great shot that you would hit the big league sooner rather than later?
3: At that time, after those couple of years, uh, prior to that, not so much. I I had a repeat rookie ball, so I did two tours of duty down there after making the A-ball team in Anderson, South Carolina. And by the way, at that time, it was me and Ron Gann playing second base, and we all know what kind of career Ron Gann had. And Ronnie didn't make the team in 1984, and I did in Anderson, South Carolina. And then we switched places. He got moved up halfway through the season, and I got sent back down to Braden in Florida for my second tour down there in rookie ball. So things right there were, you know, they were starting to get a little off the tracks there. And then the next year, following year, we go to Sumter in 1985, and Ronnie's now pretty much taking the majority of the playing time at second base. I'm filling in here and there against, uh, you know, a uh, couple of days a week. So I didn't really have any numbers. It, like two, 15, 16 or something with no home runs and things weren't looking so hot then. You know, you you've been in the minor league system for only a couple of years, but you know that they're not going to, you know, they're not going to wait around too long and you're always wondering, you know, are they going to give me another chance? Is there going to be more opportunity? But you know that that came the following year in 1986. We go down to spring training and there was a system Matt, and this is kind of the grim reaper system where they would release players and everybody knew it when the minor league teams would go on a road trip in spring training, the guys who stayed back in West Palm beach would nine times out of 10, that's when they would make their cuts. When everybody was away, they'd make their cuts. By the time you got back from that road trip, those guys that got cut were already on a plane going back home. Mm. And, uh, and that spring training, I didn't make any road trips, not one. So every day I went out there in that field, I said, is this going to be the day I get called to Hank Aaron's office? Because Hank was the one that notified the players they were being released. And Brian Snicker, the current manager of the Braves, told me, he said, you know, when we were making our picks, we got down right to the bottom, and he said, I saw your name on the board, and you weren't picked by anybody. And he said, the only reason I took you was because I said, well, he can catch the ball, and he won't give me any problems. I'll take him. And thankfully, he did, because that was that first year I hit 18 home runs. And from then on out, I played for Brian Snicker again the next year, and that was the year. So that really got me going and got me started.
0: Folks, let me ask you a question. When it comes to dealing with experts, don't you know they've got your best interest in mind? Think about somebody in the medical profession as opposed to you diagnosing yourself. You would never do that. When, when it comes to insurance, I would think, yeah, you can go shop your own rates, but don't you want the professionals to do it for you, the experts? Well, I'm talking about the Rhodes Group. My friend Clayton Rhodes and the great folks at the Rhodes Group, they did that for me, and you should know, you should be shopping your rates or having pros do it each and every year because the rates change so much. When I'm talking about home or car insurance, you could be saving a bundle if you have professionals like the Rhodes Group shopping for you. They did just that, and they saved me a couple of thousand dollars a year with home and car insurance combined you can be the next to save a bunch of money with the roads group. I want you to go to their website. It's roads-group.com. It's spelled R H O A D S group.com or follow me on real Matt on Twitter. You'll see the link. You can click over and have them give you 10 quotes in 10 minutes at the roads group locally owned, a great bunch of folks who are professionals when it comes to finding you the best rates, go to roads-group.com, have them shop your rates They'll give you 10 quotes in 10 minutes at the Rhodes Group.
1: The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY. And there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required. And they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win
2: a lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation like the one Tommy Hall had with first horizon bank about taking over his father's Charleston based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.
0: It's fascinating how, like, quickly everything can change in that vein. So 1988 was honestly for the big league club, maybe the bottom of the barrel, another either 100-loss team or right there. But for you guys in the minors, it gave you an opportunity. So tell me about the call in September of 88 that you, uh, I mean, that's the dream come true right there.
3: It is. And uh, I guess you hit the nail on the head, man. It's like when you're coming up in the minor league system, you would love for your parent club to be world champion. So you could you know, have a little bragging rights in the minor leagues. But re- in reality, if you're a minor league player trying to get an opportunity in the big leagues, that could not be the best case scenario is to have a big league club. That's looking to make changes and needs new blood. And that's what they needed at the major league level. And At that time, you mentioned a couple of those years. Now I'm in double-A Greenville, South Carolina, and had another good year. And I've been to big league camp now for two years. So you're starting to feel like it's getting closer. Now all you have to do is is keep being successful and, and putting up good numbers. And we were having very successful minor league teams as well to go along with it. So we get to the championship in the Southern League in 1988, and we lose to Chattanooga up there in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it was raining the whole time, Matt. And, you know, I knew what my numbers were at that time. I figured I had a really good shot, and I'm saying, you know, I, I like these playoffs in the minor leagues, but c- can we please get this over with because mm-hmm. there's, there's a possibility there might be a call-up at the end of this. And uh, fortunately, there was. It just was a lot of rain in between it.
0: Who, uh, who was the call? And uh, tell me who you called right after you got off the phone.
3: Uh, well, I, I'll tell you the phone call I made up. That I was right home to my parents. But um, it was Russ Nixon was managing the 88 Braves, but he, t- he had taken over from Chuck Tanner. And Russ was originally our manager of our A team in Greenville. So he was the manager to start that season out. Halfway through the season, he comes to Atlanta and Buddy Bailey takes over. So, Buddy Bailey is the guy who sends me to the big leagues, and I got the call from Russ Nixon, who started that season as my manager in double A.
0: So, who was the first game against and uh, first time in the batter's box who was on the mound?
3: Uh, the first game was against the Padres, and speaking of that time, I have to look back and see what the weather was like because the Southeast must have been getting a ton of rain because the first game was rained out. Oh. <laughs> So now I gotta wait for the debut, which probably wasn't bad for the family because it gave them an extra day, of, you know, to settle in and, and get down to Atlanta. So we get a doubleheader against uh, the Padres, and that was back in the day when there were back-to-back doubleheaders. There was no day-night <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, Eric Shaw was the pitcher for the San Diego Padres, and I promptly went 0 for 7 in my debut no. with, uh, in the big Yes, yes I did. <laughs> How do you sleep that night? You don't. But you know what? I'll tell you. I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. From where I came from, the bottom of the rung, and and to get to where I was, the moment I put the uniform on and crossed the line for the first time, you could have dragged me off the field and said, "That's it." I would have said, "That's fine." <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty neat. That yeah. was cool.
0: you ain't to get the percentage of people that make it that far. You're right. That is. I mean, for for most everybody, and, that's and the end totally of the
3: rainbow. How I, Totally how I felt now yeah. don't don't get me wrong, everybody has dreams of being heroes and being mVPs and being all that stuff that you know you, not everybody can do it. you know not everybody can be that guy, so just to be able to say I crossed that line one time was enough for me. Anything else I said was icing on the cake and was gravy
0: so uh eighty eight you get sixteen games eighty nine you come back up for fourteen games nineteen ninety you become a a guy who plays over 100 games. Those three years are rough for the Braves, but I've talked to several of your teammates who were on the teams before the 91 turnaround who said, we saw a ton of talent. We played with a ton of talent in the minors. You thought it was just a matter of time. Did you have any inkling after 1990 that you guys were that close?
3: I don't think that close. I knew we would get better. And by better, I mean, you know, you were so much, uh, the laughing stock of baseball, that 500 would have felt like a World Series. So you knew we'd get better. And uh, and I think it was a great experience to start out that kind of run because once you've experienced the losing side and then you come into 1991, I, now nobody can tell me they could have thought or predicted, hey, we had a World Series club. Now, Bobby Cox might have. I think Bobby always felt like we're going to win every time we went out in the field. But I don't think amongst the players we felt like we were going to have a World Series team, but we knew we were going to be better. But I think the fact that we experienced the losing side of things, we knew that we never wanted to go back to it. So it always gave us an incentive moving forward. And it was really tough because 91, you go to the World Series out of nowhere, and you go worse at first just like the Minnesota Twins on the other side did. Uh, But... The following year and years to come, you you don't get to surprise anybody. There's a bullseye on your back now.
0: Lemmer, let me back up for a second because in the middle of 1990, Mm -hmm. Bobby Cox takes over for Russ Nixon. um, And Mm -hmm. I know for a lot of you guys, Bobby had maybe the greatest impact uh, anybody professionally ever had. What did you notice about Bobby right away coming down from GM and give me his impact for you on your career?
3: Well, it was interesting at first because – you know, I had known him throughout my minor league career, and he came to the Braves in 1985. I'd known him as a general manager. The only time I'd seen Bobby or dealt with Bobby was in an office, he was in a suit. I'd never seen him really in a baseball uniform, although when I was growing up, Matt, the closest minor league team to us, other than we had one in our hometown, but was Syracuse. That was Triple A for the Yankees. Bobby Cox was a manager when I was a kid going to them games. He was the manager of the Syracuse Chiefs, although I'd never said, well, oh, hey, one day I'm going to play for that guy, but it ended up being that. But the first time I saw him in, in uniform with the Braves, you know, he, he'd call us in, and um, and I saw him, and I said, oh, I said, he must have been a while since he's managed, because they don't wear spikes anymore. Little did <laughs> little, little I know he was going to wear those spikes the rest of his career.
0: <laughs> That's Bobby to a but,
3: uh, It was great, though. It was great, and you know he meant business, and uh, and I always think back. I remember being in the minor leagues when Bobby said he just kept harping on, we're going to draft start pitching, we're going to get young pitching in here, and he, he says, I got this plan. Just give us at least five years, and, and Bobby was at a lot of the games when I was coming up to the minor leagues, so I was familiar with him, and then when he took over, you know, the five-year plan would have been 1990, so he, he put a line through that and make it a six, and that ended up being his number. So it was a six-year plan for number
0: six. Yeah, it worked out, I think. Um, so the 91 team, I mean, you played with Glavin. You came up with John Smoltz. You were around Jeff Blouser. I mean, like a lot of that core was already in place, and then we know Scherholz makes the moves to bring in Pendleton and Bream and late in spring training Otis and Belliard for defense. You guys were okay in April, right? You head above water, like hanging around. When did you get an inkling like that? You guys could challenge the, the big behemoth Dodgers in the West who everybody had picked.
3: Well, yeah, I remember what I really remember about that was uh, the All-Star break. We go out to Los Angeles and play the Dodgers head-to-head. And I don't know what going in, it might have been, Dodgers might have been leading the division by four and a half or five and a half games. Maybe even more. No, maybe five and five, five and a half. I don't know what So anyways, that's our big chance. Before the All-Star break, we got a four-game series, I believe, in Los Angeles. We can make a statement. We get swept. Okay? So now it's eight and a half, nine games at the All-Star break. And I'll never forget the final game in L.A. I was just sitting there with a few of the teammates on the bench and you know, kind of shaking your head like, what just happened? And you're saying, here we go again. Is this some kind of curse? I mean, can we ever get better? Are we ever going to do anything? And Terry Pendleton came up and down the dugout and hit each other, guys, hit each other of my teammates, you know, and pat him on the back said, This thing's not over. This is not over. And, you know, we're sitting there looking at Terry like, We're, we're nine and a half games out. It's the All Star break. And uh, we go home and start the second half. When we come out of the gate in the second half, I don't know, we won seven, eight, eight in a row, seven out of eight, eight out of nine, somewhere in that range. Dodgers come out, they lose seven, eight in a row. Next thing you know, it's a two-and-a-half game lead for the Dodgers. Then I thought, well, okay, maybe something's starting to happen, but, you know, we got to keep this up. They're not going to lose all those games, and we're not going to win every game, so you got to start playing a little bit better. And I think by the end of July of that year, until the first week of August is when, you know, we caught the Dodgers maybe the first or second week in August. That's when you said, you know what? We didn't give up, and we can we can catch these guys. And I think it was right about then where the fans started to catch on. You know, this is now getting towards football season, usually when people turn tune out to the Braves. And you remember those were the days when they still played football at Fulton County Stadium. Oh, yeah. So you, so you were always reminded when you went out in the field and saw the old line, the football lines would be out there during the month of September. But, um, but that's when the fans really caught on, and then the tomahawk chop caught on, and then things went nuts after that. So
0: take me through, like, September, and we'll go into October, and, and the postseason chase. Being around Atlanta, like Mark Lemke at that point in 1991 is, what, 25 years old? I've said as a fan... There's never been a more fun, like ridiculous, like can't even – like, it was like the movie Major League in the city of Atlanta, the way it captured everybody. What was it like for a player inside the uh, clubhouse in that team?
3: Most fun I've ever had in, in any one particular baseball season in my life, and bar none. Uh, it's great winning the World Series. That was the ultimate thing, as any player sets out to do, to win a championship. But as far as having fun and watching sit. A city just join right in the party, you know, just jump right in. It, it couldn't have been any better, especially coming off uh, off those losing seasons that we did have prior to that. And uh, it was, it, it's really hard to explain how phenomenal it was. But I think some of the guys once this. The winning started, Matt. We had come through to the brave system being very successful as minor leaguers. A lot of us expected it to keep happening. We weren't um, awestruck by the fact that we were playing good baseball. And we had great leaders, too, as well. We had uh, Sid and Terry, guys that had been on winning teams before, you know, leading the charge and keeping us in line when we slacked off a little bit. And letting us know what we need to do, not hang our heads if things didn't go our way. And it was back and forth that whole month of September. It was a nerve wracking month of September. It was like a good month and a half of playoff baseball down the stretch that year. Yeah,
0: every game seemed to matter. So compare your first post-season AB to your first career, major league AB, how different are the nerves?
3: Oh, a lot different, a lot different. Uh, you know, you, you know, everything's on the line when the post-season comes around and, uh, You know, it's just, it's hard to explain. You grow up and you watch postseason baseball and you you dream, uh, you're out in the backyard, you're dreaming of yourself in those situations, but nothing can really prepare yourself when you step in the batter's box and they tell you now it's playoff baseball. It's no longer regular season.
0: Yes, we're brought to you by the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. It's kind of my go-to. I'm a little bit lucky. I live in Woodstock, so I'm right around the corner to downtown Woodstock on Main Street to see the Daily Draft, which I've told you many times, it's the ultimate sports bar experience, not your father's sports bar. You're talking wall-to-wall flat screens, self-serve taps, craft bar, chef-inspired menu. And with sizzling plays ahead, if you're planning on tailgating both this summer or this fall, maybe you're going to MBS or Athens or on the flats, or you're hosting a game night at your home. Check out the Daily Draft's newest menu edition: the Tailgate Box. Yes, you can enjoy their wings, boneless wings, a couple of sides, a bag of popcorn, and of course, their homemade jumbo cookies. Now, these are pre-order only. You can go to the uh, thedailydraft.net or give them a call at the Daily Draft to get the pre-orders in. If you're also looking for a new place to grab lunch during the week, or even order on Uber Eats, check out the Daily Draft. They have a great lunch lineup for only 11 bucks monday through friday from 11 30 till 3 30. again go to the dailydraft.net or you can check them out on facebook or instagram the Daily Draft, a unique experience from the moment you walk through the door, a walk-up window to order drinks from the sidewalk, craft beer bar, pool tables, darts, wall-to-wall flat screens, you won't miss a single second of the game. Go check them out today at the Daily Draft.
1: The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required. And it can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win.
4: five dollar minimum balance
0: required so that postseason i mean was the beginning of a lot of great moments and you guys went in pittsburgh the incredible series with the twins that unfortunately you guys came up short on um do you get over that kind of loss and if so how long does it take to get over a game seven one nothing extra inning loss
3: it's tough to get over especially uh the way we played that series and uh You know, and and the way we came back in in Pittsburgh, let's go back a little bit to the Pittsburgh series that you're not even thinking there's even a possibility. First of all, to be in that playoff with Pittsburgh, the fact that we won the division on the final day of the season was incredible. And and then next thing you know, you're in the playoffs, which you didn't even think would be possible because I think a lot of us Probably were thinking, wow, well, well, you know, if if we don't get in the playoffs, we can always say this was a great run. Wow, what a good run! But here we are in the playoffs, and then we get down and go up to Pittsburgh. We're down three to two, and we got young pitchers. I mean, you got uh, Smoltz and Avery, Avery and Smoltz going. You know, you're young guys. Well, are, are they going to be able to dominate this Pittsburgh team that had been there and has has playoff experience? And and then if. If you do, we were told, well, you got to pack your bags, not just for Pittsburgh, pack them for Minnesota. So, right there is a young player saying, wait a second, I got to pack my bags for Minnesota? That would mean we're in the World Series. (laughs) And I'll never forget uh, Avery and Smoltz are lights out. The Pirates can't touch him. And I'll never forget the look on Ron Gant's face while walking up to the plane. He looks at me and said, We're going to Minnesota. I said, Yes, we are. That's awesome. Because, you know, you're packing your bags, Matt, and you're thinking, do I really need this extra stuff? You know, yeah. do I need this extra soup uh, You know what I said? If we go to Minnesota, we're the same calls. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's perfect. Um, so, 92, you're back. 93, you're back. Of course, 94 is the strike. I'm going to ask you to compare a couple of moments. This is so unfair, but I, I get to do it. The 92 NLCS ends with the, the SID sliding moment, the Francisco Cabrera hit. Compare that to the ultimate 95 championship feeling when you guys finally get it done. Are they in the same, like, hemisphere, or am I off base even trying to put them close to each other?
3: Um, just for the fact of what the game meant. meant. Uh, the World Series championship is, also, is the ultimate, so that obviously is in a category by itself. But as far as those games excitement-wise, I don't think he can beat the Sid Slit. That one, I had come out of the game because Bobby Cox had pinch hit from, I think he pinch hit Brian Hunter. And, uh, you know, we're down two to nothing in the ninth. And then so I'm sitting there. I'm out of the game now. I'm sitting at the end of the bench. And I'm starting to say to myself, wow, this is it. Because, I mean, we weren't even threatening anything. You know, no, there was no situations where we said, wow, we had the bases loaded or, or could have scored two or three runs here and we didn't do it. We we were getting nothing. And you remember back then, we thought it was going to be back-to-back games from Tim Wakefield, who was pitching so good for Pittsburgh, we were afraid he was going to come back and pitch game seven. But it was Doug, Doug Drayback. And he proved harder than Tim Wakefield to get guys in scoring position and whatnot. And there we are. And I'm thinking to myself, this this could be it. Season might be over here in a few minutes. I thought it was going to be. And then, boy, did things just get going. And then Frankie Cabrera got that huge hit, and Sid was picking him up and putting him. It seemed like an eternity for Sid to get around <laughs> third base. So <laughs> that was one of the greatest highlights of a of an individual game I've ever been part of. So,
0: like, the the highs and lows of a professional athlete, we touched on 91, right, 92, 93, but you get to climb the mountain in 95. And you only get so long to enjoy it because, like, you're world champions, and then all of a sudden that team's back again in 96 in position to go back-to-back, only to lose to the Yankees. A lot of your teammates have told me they thought, had you guys won that series, the dynasty run of of championship after championship would have followed. Do you agree with them?
3: I do. I I think that was probably harder to swallow than 91 was. Um, A lot of things didn't go our way. I think I'm proud, though, of the fact that we won in 95 and we didn't rest on our laurels. You know, we came back in 96 and played good baseball and got back where we needed to be. A lot of times that doesn't happen with a lot of teams. So even putting yourself in that position was tremendous after the fact. People don't realize it could have been over. A lot sooner with the Cardinals up three to one in '96 against us. So uh, to have that great comeback against the Cardinals, even to get to that World Series, showed a lot of resilience. And and the guys never looked back. and said, "Ah, we won it last year. We don't we don't need any anymore. No, the, you know we we really did what we had to do. And I think there was a couple of unfortunate things. I always look at the home run by Jim Laverys is what, what people talk about. But it was a six to nothing game when the umpire down the left field line or right field line, excuse me, uh, ran into Jermaine Dye on oh, a yeah. two out pop up from Jared, Derek Jeter, and it would have been six to nothing right at that point in the fifth, fifth or sixth inning. You know, it's a lot different when you got a six to nothing lead going into the ninth inning than a three, not, uh, six to three lead. No, a lot not... of things not Yeah, a lot of things didn't work out.
0: Yeah, weird things happen there. Well, then in, see, the Laird's think it's all the attention, but people kind of neglect game five was the Pettit Smoltz one nothing game that it looked like you guys were going to rally in the ninth, and I still to this day don't know how Paul O'Neal on a bad leg came up with a, a fly ball in right field. At some point you're like, ah, maybe it's just not meant to be when they're coming up with moment after moment.
3: And, and Luis Polonia was the, I think the guy who hit that ball. And when it came off his bat, he hit it in the right center field. I'm saying that that ball's down, and Paul O'Neill just yeah, you're right. I, I don't know how he caught it. That was a, a great catch, and it probably saved their series because it would have been interesting to see if not that game or or the the one I was talking about had um, the Yankees lost and were down three to one, it would have been interesting to see how their demeanor would have changed. Yeah, there's no question,
0: Mark. Let me ask you. So uh, after '97. You're 31 years old. I I imagine, like everybody, you you almost think, I'm going to spend my whole life in one organization, right? We know it's a business, but that's just the way you think. Um, What happened after 97? Um, How much of a, like, punch in the, you know, gut is it to know you're not going to be in Atlanta after that anymore?
3: Well, it hurts because you want to, you know, you want to play here forever, especially getting drafted by the Braves and being in the organization and then making that run with the, you know, same core of guys throughout the minor leagues and into the big leagues. But you know it's a business and you know when you first start out in the business you don't you don't really care. You say to yourself, "Ah, you know what? I'm playing for major league baseball. I'm playing for all teams, uh, all major league teams 28, 30 whatever it was at the time." And uh, this is just a uniform I wear now, but once you start getting entrenched in the Braves organization, seeing how they run things, then your worldly grows. And then you really don't want to go anywhere else. I, I, I don't even want to take anybody's word for it. I know how great it was here and uh, how the city turned around and how they were behind us. And, and then we had the little bit of the run. So it was hard. Now I, I got hurt. My final game I ever played for the Braves, I had the ligaments in my ankle torn at second base in Houston and that was the second time. Now, I played basketball my whole life and never sprained an ankle. And uh, I did one ankle, high ankle sprain, which is worse than breaking your ankle, if you ever know what a high ankle sprain is, because it tears all the ligaments apart in your ankle. And, and I did it in 1990, and I did that one just walking down the tunnel to the dugout, looking at a rain delay, and and slipped in the tunnel on the concrete and uh, – busted that ankle. And then the final game I played for the Braves, Derek Bell took me out of second base and we got tangled up and he rolled my ankle there. And, and so now I'm, you know, that's the second one I've done. That was the final game I ever played for the Braves. I was hoping maybe to get one more chance to come back and, and do it again for the Braves. I I didn't make it to that postseason in 97. So that was a, a little bit of a downer. And then, Then when it's over, then, you know, you just got to – I was grateful to play for the Braves. I wish it could have lasted forever. We all do. But I was grateful for the time I had.
0: You spent a year in Boston. Unfortunately, you got, uh, I mean, a concussion. that Pummeled
3: at second base there, too.
0: Can you watch that video? Is that something you ever see again? Or, like, is that something you don't want to watch?
3: Nah. And for no reason other than uh, I just don't really – I've seen it. And – just like the one in Houston, I've seen that. And once I've seen it one time and I saw what happened, I don't really. Uh, it it's not nothing that interests me, you know, yeah. to keep watching it. But um, I've seen them both, and, uh, you know, that was part of the risk back then. Now they've done a good job cleaning a little bit of that up. You don't see that as much as you used to. But, boy, back in the day, I don't know if people realized the two guys that had targets were your second baseman and your catcher. <laughs> If either one of those were in the in the way, I mean, guys were coming after you with a vengeance.
0: Um, how is the uh, knuckleball these days? If I asked you to get out and try to uh, throw it around,
3: uh, the that the the fastball's not even there. I, I can't even, <laughs> I can't. You got to get the shoulder or your arm above your shoulder to even <laughs> throw a baseball. <laughs> uh, I love it. But I had fun doing that, though. I did have fun doing that. That was a lot of fun. Great experience. Met some great people up in New Jersey, and uh, still to this day, I still talk to some of them. We had a we had a blast. We're only a few minutes from uh, Yankee Stadium in Montclair, New Jersey. That was a great way to go out. Um, it's what I wanted to do, and uh, so I guess you know that was part of having that total experience and you could do it all and be done with it. It'd be just like going to the sandlot as a kid is what I, the way I envision it. You know, when you went to the kid one day, uh, went to the field, one day you might say, I'm playing outfield. I'll play center field. Then you'll play first base or I'll pitch. And you do whatever. And it was a lot of fun.
0: Well, Mark, the career, especially in Atlanta speaks for itself. I know still, and I, I see this doing pregame with you all. It's always still a fan favorite and, uh, some great stories, some great recollections. Thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, Continued yes, success, my friend.
3: All right. Thanks, Matt.
0: Yes, we're brought to you by the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. It's kind of my go-to. I'm a little bit lucky. I live in Woodstock, somewhere right around the corner. To downtown Woodstock on Main Street to see the Daily Draft, which I've told you many times, it's the ultimate sports bar experience, not your father's sports bar. You're talking wall to wall flat screens, self serve taps, craft bar, chef inspired menu. And with sizzling plays ahead, if you're planning on tailgating both this summer or this fall, maybe you're going to MBS or Athens or on the flats, or you're hosting a game night at your home, check out the Daily Draft's newest menu edition, the Tailgate Box. Yes, you can enjoy their wings boneless wings, a couple of sides, a bag of popcorn, and, of course, their homemade jumbo cookies. Now, these are pre-order only. You can go to the uh, thedailydraft.net or give them a call at The Daily Draft to get the pre-orders in. If you're also looking for a new place to grab lunch during the week or even order on Uber Eats, check out The Daily Draft. They have a great lunch lineup for only 11 bucks Monday through Friday from 11.30 till 3.30. Again, go to thedailydraft.net. Or you can check them out on Facebook or Instagram. The Daily Draft, a unique experience from the moment you walk through the door, a walk-up window to order drinks from the sidewalk, craft beer bar, pool tables, darts, wall-to-wall flat screens. You won't miss a single second of the game. Go check them out today at The Daily Draft.
4: minimum balance required.
0: Guys, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks to Brian Murphy for producing the podcast. And thanks to you guys for making us your weekly destination. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Madland. Welcome to Atlanta. Players play, and we ride on the things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming, and parties don't stop till eight in the morning. Welcome to Atlanta, where the players
1: play, and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming, uh-huh. and parties. consultation.